Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. My name is Ryan, and tonight is a very, very special night for me and for one other person on the planet. We're going to get to him very soon. Uh, we're doing 2020 right now. We're just going through all the movies that uh, you know, aren't being released in theaters or got sent to our houses because of stupid quarantine. And tonight's movie is called Color Out of Space. Yes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about that movie a lot. We're going to dissect it better than anybody ever has. Of course, it's what we do here. But the main reason for the season is a special celebration of the man, the myth, the legend, Nicolas Cage. Before we do a deep, deep dive, like long, and it's we're going in hardcore. We're, we're doing like six knuckles deep in every part of his career. I have to introduce the people who are here to talk about Color Out of Space. Are they Nicolas Cage fans? Have they ever heard of him before? We don't know. We're just going to talk about this movie first. Starting with me, as always, is Mike. I am starting with you. If that means eight minutes into the intro, you finally let somebody else talk. You know how like you know how the T Rex only sees movement? Yes, I, I know that you, lie. You oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. Another Somebody's one of your conspiracies. You only listen to my fuck ups. Like you don't hear a word that I say unless I use the wrong word or say things in a silly way, and then you you're like the T Rex of sound motion with I, that. I am the T Rex of sound motion and I will point out when you fuck up. Uh so, but I'm supposed to be talking about my relationship with Nicolas Cage instead of no, not at all. No, I'm, not no at I'm just introducing you. Yeah, <laughs> just say hello, hello, and shut up. Okay, hello let's do it one more time. Up. Here to help me, starting with me as always, is Mike. Shut up and hello. Thank you. And then making his debut on Movie of the Year, probably only because it's the Nicolas Cage show, and we couldn't keep him out of the studio. It's Nate. Nate, everyone. Well, hello. I am. Uh, I am stoked to talk about Hollywood's most talented Coppola. This is not, uh, I don't think that's going out on a limb. I think that is the only thing that a sane person could say. I'm a real big Sofia Coppola man. Only her acting. I have, I heard oh, yeah, there you go. Just, just Godfather 3. <laughs> yeah. Nothing else. That's only Godfather I, I like? And really it's just uh, Godfather 3, Sofia Coppola gifts. That's, yeah. that's her favorite movie of all that time. That is pure cinema. Her dad makes okay wide too, I guess. Now, Mike, I know that your favorite type of movie, getting out of the cage for a second, is like sort of cheesy, bad horror that also thinks it has something on its mind. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with you. Just overall, how did Color Out of Space work for you? All over the place. It, at, at, there's times where it's not as bad shit as you want it to be, and other times where this is too much. I didn't know they were allowed to make movies like this post the 80s. Like, I thought they really got it all out of their system. Uh, but this guy did not. This director. Uh, this fucking guy. This fucking guy brought his weird Aussie New Zealand, I don't care which, energy. And uh, he was like, no, we still make Cronenberg-type Corman movies if we want to. I know it's harder. Like It, ta it takes more effort to be racist towards Australians and New, New Zealand people. Uh, let's, but let's not find a way. Okay, let's no. just... They said it could the, be done. The tone in your voice when you mentioned those people... <laughs> Oops, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Those people... Uh, Nate, you, here we go. I'm going to reveal this right now. This is the movie that you chose when we asked you to be on the show. Uh, why 
And did it hold up to your wildest imagination? Uh, the why is uh, I, I, I read a lot of Lovecraft when I was younger. Uh, I'm well aware of all of the problematic aspects of Lovecraft's writing and all of the work that he's done. Uh, but there are stories like this one, the, the, the original short story that this film is based on. I, I hazard to call it a film, but it, it's a film. Um, uh, I love stories about weird space shit that happens, and I love these sort of horror things. Um, I, I, was, I was surprisingly pleased with this movie. I thought going into it, like, this is going to be, this is just going to be kind of silly, and I'm not really going to enjoy it as much as I wanted to. And, uh, and it just, uh, just kind of kept ratcheting itself up. And I do think it has to do with this director, who he was the guy that uh, got kicked off of Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, well, he got kicked off directing the movie. Like, he yeah. wasn't on the actual island. Oh, yeah. and they threw was him one of the well. creatures that Moreau made. And excuse me, he's South African, so he's okay. He was, uh, the, he was the little guy that was hanging out with Brando in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Martinez's best friend. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of people know that Survivor Season 13 took place on the Island of Dr. Moreau, and this director got kicked off first. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that um, we're going to sort of argue and talk about what the quality of the movie, because although I don't know if it's perfect, I, I don't think that you can just say that uh, this is enjoyable just because of how awful it is. You know, I do think it is attempting a lot of stuff. It's, it's got B-movie roots, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's trash. Um, and yeah, I want to see if we can crack this open. Let's get into more detailed conversation. Guys, when we come back, the two of you are no longer friends. I am going to throw some stuff out at you, and you're going to compete. Uh, the, winner, the winner of tonight's show will, of course, be the best friend of Nicolas Cage. Uh, he's on board. He's here right now in the studio, and he's going to come out and give you a big hug when we come back. And then everything just blew up. Big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. You mean it's radioactive? I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. In 1996, up-and-coming filmmaker Richard Stanley was finally about to break through to the mainstream, getting the chance to write and direct his dream project, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Just days into filming, New Line fired him and replaced him with Manchurian Candidate director John Frankenheimer. 25 years later, Stanley found a studio to fund his movies, starting with Color Out of Space, what he calls the first in his Lovecraft trilogy. He, uh, Lovecraft wrote the short story the movie's based on. The film tells the story of a family who decides to get out of the city and move to a farm after the mom of the family survives a double mastectomy. Things are going fine until a meteor hits the farm, giving aliens the chance to rip the family apart, but in some cases, bring them closer together than they ever have before. Taste Buds, let's start with the main reason for tonight's show, a celebration of the career of Nicolas Cage. Where does this role fit into Cage's legacy? And what happens to this movie when you cast Nick Cage in the leading role? Let's keep in mind that it could have been anyone, but it wasn't. It was Sir Nicholas Cage. I, I do think so. Cage has been on like I don't know the last time he made a critically acclaimed movie. He's been in this. I'll do whatever I want and elevate it for years now. Uh, but this feels not just like oh I'll do it, but because Richard Langley uh, 
Stanley. Stanley. Yeah. Stanley? Uh, I'm going to call him Langley. Because uh, Langers wants to not just make Lovecraft movies, but basically he watched Annihilation and The Shining, and he's like, who's this generation's Jack Nicholson? And it's a guy who does not talk like normal people. It's fucking Nick Cage. And even when he's in his normal mode, even before anything goes, there's such an off-putting energy that I do feel like only he could bring to it. Yeah, this 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 movie starts at like five on on the scale of ten with with energy and and so uh, Nick Cage is perfect because he doesn't start at zero. Like there is no subtlety for Nick Cage, and that's not a a uh, it's not a dig on his acting ability. That's just the reality. It's absolutely a that's compliment. The reality of his situation. Like he starts at maximum effort and then he elevates to ultra maximum effort, which he does later in this film. Yeah, watching it, I was like, he is off. You know, there's a lot of weird things he does. Um, offering uh, a person that is new, that's never been on the farm before, uh, llama milk or alpaca milk in a way that I have never seen somebody offer a drink to someone <laughs> Very before. Very reminiscent of uh, The Last Jedi, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, when his son seems to be going through something um, and his wife is freaking out, Nicolas Cage just grabs a glass of bourbon and takes a knee in front of him. Like, almost <laughs> like, do you not know how shots are split? Like, this is weirdly staged and Nicolas Cage is like, oh, I'm out of character. I'm just drinking this bourbon. And... Is is there a zero for Nicolas Cage? Like, can you, at this point in his career, uh, give him a role where he's just a one the entire time? No, because I do think the first half of this movie he's supposed to be. But he, he made weird choices and delivers things oddly. Or there's something deeply troubled about this family before aliens come at all. But, like, he he's a fucking oddball. And, like, I think he, like, he tried to be a normal actor. And then he did, like, Face Off uh, and Con Air. And then he tried to do real movies again, and he's old enough to be like, no, I know when I was my best, and it was 1997, and I just got to get that back, baby. Yeah, I think, I think first of all, there is definitely something very weird with this family from the beginning of the film. And, that's, and I think that's what I hope Richard Stanley's trying to do in, in the way that he directs everybody. I mean, we start with a daughter who's casting, like, a witch protection spell. And she's ridden a white horse in robes away from this farm. But they're supposed to be, like, a city family. <laughs> Who's just recently moved out here, and she's somehow embodied this persona of of basically what uh, uh, Liv Tyler in Lord of the Rings over the course of the like six <laughs> weeks they've lived on the farm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Nick, when, when Nick Cage is standing uh, behind uh, behind his wife, whose name I can't actress's name Julie Richardson, when he's like reassuring her that he's still sexually attracted to her, and they're standing there. And he's just sort of stroking her arm. Like, there's something sinister even about the way he's doing that. Because it feels like it, it's, it's almost too much like a play. Like, he's acting in a stage relationship. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is sort of like, well, we're trying to be semi-naturalistic, I guess. Ah. Yeah, the wife is, like, so concerned with her job and... Her clients! Uh, internet, her clients. And, and not wearing AirPods uh, you know, correctly because they're pointed straight down <laughs> in every shot. It really irritated me. Bitch, you should be worried about your husband. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated with this like concept of metacasting. You know, like, Mike, the example I always bring up is Kubrick casting Tom Cruise mm -hmm. in Eyes Wide Shut as a joke. Um, and I do think there's a little bit of it here where Stanley or... Langers? Is that where we're Langers. going? Langers. <laughs> Langers. Uh, 
he was like, I, I don't want to direct the the first half of this movie where the, the, the lead actor has to be like calm and cool and normal. And then I have to bring him up to a four or five. I'm just going to get someone whose natural setting is a four or five. And then that's going to handle my job for me. I, I also do think that it's because he is sort of our viewpoint for the first chunk of the movie. Uh, and he seems pretty normal except the moments he doesn't. But then we see him on the news talking about the meteorite that happened. Yes. And then I think... This is a turning yes. point. That's it's not. I don't know if it's a turning point. I think that's how he actually always is. Because he says, in his mind, normal stuff. And his family acts like he's insane. Not- that's because that's actually who he is all the time. He just always thinks he's suave, milk, and alpaca. He's standing... So we're watching... We're watching uh, Nicolas Cage through his eyes, yes. and then the news is like the the reality filter that gives us the real one, where he's like he's just like touching his head, and we'll just remove chunks of hair, and then just brings up bourbon. She's like, I, I just I love bourbon, and fucking his wife. He brought up fucking his wife. He didn't. He just needed. We were inside, you know, like you are in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. There's and nothing that about is, that interview uh, that that even implies that he has talk to another human being other than his family before. <laughs> like, he doesn't have an energy that and makes th- sense. But yeah, like, I think it totally backs up what you were saying, Mike, and if I say something like that, then I Mike. have to give you a point. Um, because while watching the news thing, all he does is just scream for his wife. Yeah. And I'm not sure, like, this is a weird family, but I'm not sure what that's going to do, bud, Nick Cage. Like, the wife is going to run in and she's not going to be able to change the news that is now currently airing. So really, she's just going to say... She's just going to reassure you and say, no, you're totally normal, internet, client. Well, I think the purpose of Which the news awesome. thing was that it, it establishes early this uh, important and divisive relationship Nicolas Cage has with the television that becomes a theme throughout mm. the rest of the film. Hell yeah. Thanks. For sure. I mean, like, yeah, there's a, there's the thing where he wants to he wants to get out of the city and he wants to live in this place, but really he wants more control. And watching him gain and lose that throughout the movie... Uh, even if it's the media, I think that most normal men, middle-aged men around Nicolas Cage's age um, that scream at the news and how it's fake, I think those are all normal people just doing their sure. thing. You guys ever just notice that? How farmers. their hair flies up. <laughs> um, I also, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movies that this movie is clearly inspired by, um, but what I got with, was Jaws, and I don't think that the aliens are Jaws in this movie. I think it's Nicolas Cage and his weirdness. <laughs> we, like, we, it's held back for an entire hour, and then in that hour, and we're just, we want to see it so bad, and then throughout, like in the back hour, when it's released, it's so scary and <laughs> thrilling. Is Nicolas Cage's weirdness the Bruce, the, the shark from the movie Jaws? Yeah, because I heard that Langers wanted him to be starting at 11 but it kept breaking down on the farm like there's something about his weirdness that just wouldn't work with the farm so like okay i guess we got to hide it as much as we can and just shoot around it yeah so like (laughs) the things that we're seeing are is just like when he is like basically just not being a normal person like Mm -hmm. he's storming around this entire time and then they just get like drips and drabs of this guy seemingly normal even at his craziest exactly yeah i mean a, a a broken clock is is still tells the right time twice a day right um, I thought with the Jaws thing, you were going to bring up that there's a mayor who, for some reason, exists. Oh yeah, also yeah. By the existence of the evident problem from a scientist. And I mean, the only reason that's in the movie is because the director has seen Jaws. Yeah, yes? yeah it's got to be. And, 
There's also like a weird content. There's this is a sequel to a movie we'll never see because she instantly hates Nicolas Cage. Like there's there's bad blood already between them, and he mentions like this is his father's farm. So maybe my headcanon is they dated in high school or something, so they instantly don't like each other. Uh, but yeah, the, the way she orders people around is not a small town mayor. Like she knows the the water guy, and she's like ordering him. It is definitely like a black ops government shield person who wants to hide everything that's going. <laughs> the way on. her commercial is shot. In it, within oh the thing where it's it's shot from like a, a, the camera's pointing up almost under her chin to show just how dominating she is in her water project. It's she's she is a force to be reckoned with to be sure. Do you guys think uh, like Jaws? Uh, I don't know. Comparisons aside, do you guys see that as a vital part of the movie? Like, do you guys think that Nicolas Cage had to have the run-ins, and we and we as the audience had to have the run-ins with this? mayor or whatever she was i don't know if it had to be the mayor but to show him that he is one kind of weird with his family and a completely different kind of weird with people who are not in his family and it's power dynamics because he the way he talks about ezra he's kind of cool with him but anybody who might have a little more authority than he does he does turn weird i mean he's cool with him but you can tell that he does think he's better than ezra hey well who isn't everybody loved the 90s it was good everyone loved the 90s mike that's worth a point (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think that the only reason that that the mayor's there, honestly, is because it there needed to be some sort of established essence of what Arkham was as a place that was outside of what the the rural community was, and they didn't have any better shorthand than this than saying, okay, cool, we'll have this we'll have this hot shit lady mayor. She'll come in, she'll yell at people a couple of times, she'll get out. That'll establish that Nick isn't all in control, and that was yeah, that was it. It also, whether this was intentional or not, uh, it also gives us a glimpse of how Nicolas Cage, it's not just his wife and his daughter. It's not just his wife and Lavinia. It's also, you know, with, with the mayor who is not related to him, uh, now we sort of get a picture of how he sort of treats all women. Yeah, though we don't get to see if the mayor ever gets mutilated in some way. I hope so. Probably. I mean, those turbines look pretty dangerous. So, Mike, you're going to write the prequel. I'm going to write the sequel, which is just her getting mutilated. <laughs> That's gonna no, wait. I, I want the prequel. <laughs> and I'll write the sequel? That's going to double fuck Langers because he called it his Lovecraft trilogy, but then we're sweeping in and making the rest of them. <laughs> oh, no. If you make one movie and you declare it a trilogy immediately, that's just ripe for squatters yeah. to come in and just make those <laughs> movies instead of you. Did, uh, did, did he see, do we think he saw Mandy also? Is it possible that he could have seen Mandy before filming this? Because there are some pretty oh, I thought you, big parallels there, too. Yeah, I thought you meant did Nicolas Cage, in all of his visions, once oh. the meteor hit, did he sit there and watch Mandy, <laughs> which would have been great. But yeah, I do, like, speaking of trilogies, I do sort of think this completes one um, of Nicolas Cage, and we'll get to this in one second, but his later work of, like, mom and dad, Mandy, and now this, Color Out of Space, where... He doesn't seem to say no to any movie that is offered to him. But in the meantime, we're sort of getting this different thing where you can you can harness his energy in this really cool 80s B-movie way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I right. even say that it's kind of connected to, like... I, w- I would say that Vampire's Kiss is a, is a prequel to this movie in that the character he plays in that is his dad from this movie, who eventually quit being a literary agent after deciding he was a vampire and had a farm. And, yeah, I mean, it's on record that little Lonnie Langers, the director of this movie, um, 
is a huge fan of Vampire's Kiss, and like that's the reason he went for Cage. Is that like he just basically said, "I want this. Give me this. Give me more Vampire's Kiss." Um, and yeah, when we get to that in a second, maybe that is the you know the creation of the Cage that we know and love. Guys, we have to take a break because um, this is too much talk about Nicolas Cage. Let's talk more about Nicolas Cage. Gentlemen, we've done it for Ben Affleck. We've done it for somebody else. Who else did we do it with, Mike? Keanu. Keanu. We've done it with Keanu. Didn't we do it just a couple of weeks ago? Ben with Affleck. Ben Affleck. Will Smith. Will Smith. Because <laughs> I said Ben Affleck first, <laughs> and then you, you followed up with Ben Affleck. Oh, America's ben Best Affleck. Batman. <laughs> um, but this might be the most important one. Uh, the eras of Nick Cage. Let's start with just what he means to all of us. And I will let you guys know. I'm going to answer for both of you. Um, he has more talent in his pinky than either of us do, any of us do, but then no talent anywhere else. Uh, it's quite a talented pinky if you look at it. Uh, and how could you not? How could you not look at it? Um, Nate, we're going to go to you first because you chose this movie. Um, just generally, what does Nick Cage's career mean to you? I think I think what it means is that there there is something that's so free about the way that he does every single performance that he's ever had in his entire career. That no like other actors know like oh I need to be reserved for this. I need to be somber here. And and what Nick Cage says is look, I'm an actor, you're paying me to be me. I'm going to be me for you. And I'm going to give you my whole self the whole time. We should all be so lucky as to have relationships where someone was as dedicated to giving all of themselves to us as Nick Cage Nate. is to giving every single role that he's in. Nate. Hold on, Mike. Hold on one sec. Nate. Okay. Uh, Mike, um, I would just quit uh, the debate or the presidency or whatever you guys are arguing about because I don't know if you can follow that up. Uh, and again, Nate, you're, you're nailing it not just by like speaking from your heart but also – Speaking from my heart, that's the most important thing. <laughs> I'm just, just speaking the truth, you know. I, I think that, you know, sometimes the sky opens and just the light of, of, of God's realism comes down and it's just, it is Nick Cage. Now, Mike, you're younger. You're, uh, Will Smith and Ben Affleck came to power a little bit later than this person. Yes. Do you, do you, do you remember the reign of Nick Cage? Yeah, I saw Raising Arizona in theaters and then kind of lost touch with him. And then I watched this, so... It's been crazy. <laughs> it's been it's been a crazy movie. No, yeah, uh, I think I'm broken as a film goer uh, because I did watch in like the second or third grade Con Air and Face Off and just thought these are totally normal adult movies. <laughs> and so he, I guess I started his crazy. I've only if I've seen him act quote unquote normal, it's only like going back. Uh, and I'm like, why is he doing this weird thing and trying to be a human being, be Nicolas Cage? But really, I mean, like, it's not. You guys both bring up good points because it's not um, should I be reserved, but it's like I'm not going to be. How much of it will I let go through because of the project? And I think in later years, he just forgot about like where that filter should be. It reminds me a lot of Al Pacino <laughs> where he made Scent of a Woman and then just hoo-hawed his way through 20 years of movies. 
But I, I, like Al Pacino is still getting nominated for Oscars, and there's something about Al Pacino that's more respectable. Uh, and Nicolas Cage is just like, yeah, no, go over there, dude. We gave you that Oscar, but get the fuck away from us right now. And I think that's all just associations, right? I mean, I, I think Nick Cage gets the, gets the bad rap because he doesn't end up in Scorsese movies all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like Al Pacino doing what he did in uh, in that movie that was way too long that just came out. That's name I can't remember. What was that movie called? The Irishman. The Irishman. Thank you. Yeah. I I mean, a serviceable performance. He's probably the most interesting part of the movie, um, but he's still kind of just doing late era Al Pacino. Like his most his most interesting character, I think, is that Dunkachino thing that he does in that one Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> Guys, face off to Pacino and Cage, and they're just <laughs> acting like each other. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, let's go all the way back to the beginning. The first era we're going to call "My Name Is Cage," and not Coppola. This is eighty two to eighty six. This is just before Mike went to the theaters as a one-year-old and saw his first Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, what we have, and like, it, it's cool. I, I do think it's cool that he didn't, he didn't go as like Nicolas Coppola. You know, I do think that's admirable. Um, but we have Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Valley Girl, Rumblefish, The Cotton Club, Birdie, and The Boy in Blue. This was, uh, like, there's varying amounts of screen time here. Do you guys see anything in there where we're like, oh, shit, this might be the man? I feel like there were moments that the mustache he has in Fast Times is is the man. It's true to life because every single friend group in high school has that one kid who just got a mustache as a 13-year-old and then just rolled with it forever. I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's he, not full-on surfer bro in all of them, but definitely like, oh, you can be douchey and charming. There, there was something like he, you were starting to see no matter what you were doing, there's something likable about you. Even if you are this privileged Hollywood dynasty fuck who only plays fuck faces. Uh, <laughs> I like you for some reason. Yeah, I, no, there is a thing where like no matter what your eyes are attracted to certain actors and their perfectly honed amount of weirdness, not their I'm going to let all the weirdness loose. Um, like Tom Hardy sort of mm-hmm. you know, has that thing. And I think you can see it here. The next era is from 86 to 90. It's the, is this a star era? I think we got one here. This is, this is my favorite era. Um, Peggy Sue Got Married. Mm-hmm. Starring one Jim Carrey. Raising Arizona. Moonstruck. Vampire's Kiss, which may have kicked off some of the what he may become later. And then Wild at Heart, which absolutely definitely kicked off some of that stuff. David Lynch saw this person and said, yes. Be in my Wizard of Oz movie, you wacky, wacky devil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Vampire's Kiss has got to be. That's, that, that, is a, that is a pivotal moment. I mean, he, he starts out speaking, uh, putting on this kind of uh, nasally, faux-academic voice uh, to portray this uptight uh, literary short story agent that, that we're, we're all so lucky that short stories sell so well. Uh, and then, uh, and then he, he just goes full off the rails about a third of the way through that movie uh, upon deciding that he was bit by a, a bat that Bates. made him a vampire. Uh, he decided. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's He just decides that this is happening. And, and it only, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until literally like a whole YouTube video compilations of Nicolas Cage are just that movie chopped down to, to five minutes. And him wandering, you know, walking just covered in blood uh, through New York, screaming, I'm a vampire. <laughs> and, and 
to to a bunch of extras who appear to have no idea what's going on anyway. Um, yeah, it's 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 got to be this era. Robert Bierman was supposed to direct The Fly, but then that job went to David Cronenberg. So sweet. And then really did not make any other movie except for Vampire's Kiss. But is he the person who had the key to just unleash Crazy Cage? I mean, he must have been the person who gave him the confidence, right? He, he said, go ahead. You have the keys. This is your vehicle. This is your movie. I mean, he's, he's acting against uh, Jennifer Beals, I think. There's nobody else big in that movie other than Maria Conchita Alonso. Um, <laughs> so it's like, it, it's a Nicolas Cage movie. That's it. Na- Nate, are you sponsored by Maria Conchita <laughs> Alonso? Do you make $500 every time you say the name? I, I do, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's by the letter. This is also the era of Raising Arizona, Mike, a uh, movie that you saw in diapers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this, is, this is top two or three performances of his of all time. I feel like this is a perfectly uh, straddled, he's crazy, he's not performance. Oh, I don't remember. I saw it in diapers. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know any of the movies you just said here. I, I feel like I've just been scribbling them down of my to-watch list for next weekend. Uh, okay, so... Guys, I think we have a star on our hands, so let's get to the next era. It's 90 to 94, and I think that now he's a Hollywood star. We have Firebirds, which is a big-budget Hollywood helicopter movie. And then we have, like, romantic comedies. We have Honeymoon in Vegas, Guarding Tess, and Mm. It Can Happen to You. So he's just now, like, the George Clooney, Brad Pitt of the low-budge, like the Hugh Grant of the low-budge American rom-com here. Is that fucking weirder than anything that happens in Color Out of Space? It's it's only weird because only in the late 2000s did people start to admit they are into murderers or Ramsey Bolton or that there's something about danger that they're attracted to. In the 90s, everybody was very square and just wanted to hang out at Central Perk. But for putting him in all the rom-coms, yeah, that means you like something a little scary. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could happen to you, I think, is the one with uh, he, like, wins the lottery or... Yeah. The, yeah, and then he he goes to Bridget Fonda, who works in a yep. diner, I think. He doesn't have enough money for a tip for Bridget Fonda, so he leaves the lot, or he says, I'm going to give you half the lottery. His wife, Rosie Perez, freaks the fuck out in a way that only Rosie Perez can, which is running to a hot New York street and just dancing all of her anger away. <laughs> but yeah, like there's, there's honestly in this era not a lot of like... Uh, let's say throwing rotten tomatoes into a trash can as hard as you can style Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of like his the soft side of of the rock or Vin Diesel career, right? Like Tooth Fairy slash uh, the pacifier, uh, the pacifier. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, because uh, I mean, guarding Tess is basically that with an elderly woman, and it's just like here, here you go. You can you can go be in these mainstream chill movies that are going to be no higher than maybe PG thirteen for a little while. Okay, hold on. Face off three. Tooth Fairy and Pacifier <laughs> switch faces, <laughs> try to do each other's job, and they hate each other. So that's perfect. That, I, they have to hate each other. I, I wonder if it's uh, after Vampire's Kiss, the Coppola's had a talking to you with Little Cage, and they're like, just be a normal actor in normal movies. Don't, no, we dealt with your shit all Christmases. Don't do, don't show the public. And he went, oh, okay. Mike. But that's another thing, too, is that, like, I mean, when we were talking about him just walking around set for Color Out of Space, uh, what is he like in real life? Like, is he. I've heard he's very, very nice and very... I mean, he named his real son in real life Kal-El. But yes. I had a friend who did babysit Kal-El a time or two. And very what? nice, but very weird. But never yelling. Never that. Like, he's always the weird mellow cage. So he's the first hour of yeah. 
color out of shape. We're like, it's just like, what? Color out of space, excuse me. Co- guys, color of the shape was a Foo Fighters <laughs> album. That's so weird that I would say that. Um, but he's the first hour where he just kneels down with a glass of bourbon next to children and thinks it's normal. Yeah. And, it's and, only they're and, his. And speaking turns of phrase that are slightly not right. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> alpacas are the animal of the future. <laughs> And what he meant to say was Al Pacino's are the Al, uh, the animal of the future. Uh, I Okay, because I'm a weirdo, I did this next era one year, 95. Very important year for me. Kiss of Death, where he had a supporting role in this noir movie where he bench-pressed a girl and just got fucking ripped. And then Leaving Las Vegas, which still to me is one of the greatest on-screen performances I have ever seen, and the Academy thought so too. So have you guys seen either of these two movies? I've I've seen Leaving Las Vegas and it, it and it's it's probably your best sort of they took all of all of the concentrated caginess that existed and they were able to somehow just like get it into one beaker and just and just heat it up perfectly so it was like hey you're an alcoholic you have nothing to live for you're going to blow up when you need to blow up and otherwise you're going to cool it and hang out with Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, I think it's it, it's very important to note that this is directly in the middle of the career where you know, all of the normalness and weirdness are like they collapsed perfectly in this one year. And then after this, guys, we'll see what happens. Next up is the action era, 96-97, the Rock Con Air face-off. I'm not that big of a Rock or Con Air fan. Face-off is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> is it just because it's Unleashed Cage? Do you guys like the other two movies? Yeah, uh, I'm a fan of the Rock and Con Air and... Did not only much later in life did realize how much better Face Off was, but those used to be. I would just watch the three of them all of the time in grade school. I'd go to my friend Alex's house. It wasn't like, what are we watching tonight? It's like, obviously, it's one or both or all three. Which one of these three Nicolas Cage late <laughs> 90s movies are we going to watch tonight? Uh, and just say, little fourth graders saying I could eat a peach for hours, just thinking it's about a fruit. Uh, <laughs> After he's tongue kissed a nun, calling uh-huh. everybody honey bunny in a bad southern accent. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the re- the only reason why Con Air and The Rock aren't as good movies is because they only feature one Nicolas Cage. Face Off <laughs> features Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage being Travolta, and Travolta being Nicolas Cage, which gives you really three different Nicolas Cage oh, performances that are all happening at once. I'm seeing triple four crusties here. I. <laughs> uh, yeah, like if if we can get Sean Connery and Steve Buscemi and John Malkovich the fuck out of the Rock and Con Air, and it's just Nicholas Cage's <laughs> as far as the eye can see, they would have been wonderful. He takes all of those chips that he made, so like he made a ton of currency for being in those three, like you know, uh, high grossing movies. And this is how he spends it, guys. Pay attention here. Tell me what sticks out to you. This is ninety eight to two thousand two, the Michael Bay currency era. City of Angels, Snake Eyes, Eight Millimeter. Bringing Out the Dead, Gone in 60 Seconds, The Family Man, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, and then Wind Talkers, and then now he is out, he has spent all the currency. Do you guys have any attachment to this era? Only in that uh, City of Angels gave us that stupid Goo Goo Dolls song that was overplayed through most of my high school years. Hey, Nate, everyone likes the 90s. That's a good call. (laughs) I don't want the world to see me. Yeah, hell yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh I, and people uh, just bike bicycling with no no not touching the handlebars like you you work in a hospital what are you thinking uh, for a point gentlemen because you guys are both my monkeys uh, please sing one line of the Goo Goo Dolls song from City of Angels in your best Nicolas Cage impression Mike we'll start with you I uh, don't want the world to see me 
Okay. Don't think they understand. It was a little bit of old Jeff Goldblum, (laughs) who ain't what she used to be. But, Nate, what do you got? Because I don't want the world to see me. Okay, so I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give that point to Mike because <laughs> Nate, that was your actual singing voice, and you're yeah, trying to sell records on our show, and that's not cool. <laughs> oh come on, just let me drop the link. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, do you guys like uh, besides City of Angels, besides uh, Goo Goo Dolls, uh, our generation's Matchbox Twenty? Do you guys have any connection to these movies? I mean, I feel like uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin was a movie that I was told was extremely boring, so I never saw it. And then it was backed up by another, like, prestige military movie in Wind Talkers, which uh, I think is probably one of the more important stories to tell uh, from, from World War II. That in then let's involved, get uh, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. The same, the same thing happened, like, a decade later. We're like, let's make a World Trade Center movie. Yeah. Let's get Nicolas Cage. Who is our most serious, somber, sophisticated actor. Yeah, none of the others. Uh, Wind Talkers I th- is a... I feel like was very boring. City of Angels, there wasn't a lot of fantasy movies for a fantasy nerd like me. So I just like had to try to cling to everyone that came. So I convinced myself I liked it. And then I saw Michael and I was like, no, Michael is the better dumb angel movie of that era for sure. <laughs> uh, let's be clear though, because uh, Nate, you said it was important. Windtalkers is about a group of people who can fart the word fart. Oh, see, I got confused with another movie. Yeah. All right, once again, I separated an era that should not have been separated. This is 02 to 03. This is Let's Get It Back. We're on the right track. It's Adaptation and Matchstick Men, two movies I fucking love, and he is, ama- he is leaving Las Vegas level amazing in both of them. And Adaptation gives us uh, a more spectacle version of Cage and Cage in right. All the Cage It Can Handle. I, I, I think at this point, because uh, who, who did Matchstick Men? Who's the director on that? Uh, that is obviously Mike. I'm trying to think of it right now. It's so Ridley Scott. Ridley oh, Scott. shit. So I think that that backs up my argument that I hadn't made yet, is I do think it's directors who know how to use him. It's not just like, let him do whatever he wants. These are directors who have enough pull who can talk to him and be like, please do what I want you to do, not what you think should happen right now. So you're saying that after he was directed by an adaptation and Matchstick Man, he was like, oh, I just need the right director. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to wait uh, 15, 20 years yes. until little Laney Longy Longerson uh, could direct him in color out of shape, exactly. out of water. God damn it, space. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree. I don't think it has to do with the directors. I think it has to do with roles where he plays a depressed someone. Because in both of these movies, he is deeply depressed at the beginning of the movie, which gives him so much to go off of. Because his version of depression is the negative 10. So that when you go to 10, you've got a 20-point cage spin. (laughs) So it's like if Jaws was a minnow in the beginning of the movie. And now, fuck, it's a shark. That's terrible. Guys, he gets gets currency back here. Like, he has some currency to cash. It's uh, 2005 to 2007. This is how he spends it. Lord of War, the weatherman. World Trade Center, The Wicker Man, and Ghost Rider Man. I like, I love three of five of those movies. Come on, dude. You do not. You uh, do not. In high school, super into Lord of War and super, super into Weatherman. He's a normal dude who just walked around with a bow and arrow. I love how in every uh, high school movie, when you're go- like the narrator is going around all the tables at the cafeteria, and they're like, oh, those are the goth kids, those are the magic kids, those are the jocks, those are the huge Lord of War fans. <laughs> And then uh, the Wicker Man remake is like a seminal moment for a subset of my friend group. We get together every two years to still talk about the night we all went to see it. Just scream, oh no, the bees, oh my leg. Because so much of it didn't happen on screen. It would just fade to black and he would scream what was happening to him. 
and this is some vampires kiss level stuff, right? Like he fucking goes. This this movie has a lot to do with his reputation of being a psychopath actor, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah, he gave us the gif of a cartoon cage, like in a like. There's a cage around his face. There's a cage around cage. There's a cage around cage on t-shirts. Cage on cage is his prestige uh, A and E show. Um, <laughs> But no, that 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 Wicker Man also is. It really ushers in I, what I think is going to be in the next era that you bring up. But it's that's going to lead us uh, straight into a performance that I totally just forgot what I was going to say. Shit. <laughs> okay, so the next part is we're not going to go full straight to video yet. That's still a decade away. But we're going to make straight to video movies and release them in theaters. Okay, we have next National Treasure colon and Michael and is a National Treasure Book of Secrets. Bangkok Dangerous, Knowing, Season of the Witch, and Drive Angry. Are are we all just out at this point? Uh, I don't I've seen like, Drive Angry. <laughs> I, I I don't like National Treasure as much as some of my brethren, but it, it's a fun Disney romp. Uh, I could get on board that one. And then there was another one you said. I don't remember. But yeah, there's a lot of crazy bad shit in here. I've seen Bangkok Dangerous. Yes, that, that one. You want it to be Con Air or Face Off Dumb, and it's just boring the whole time. Yeah, dude, it's a bad... These are bad movies. All right, the next two eras are simultaneous, okay? Because what happens here is that we enter this era that we're in currently where he he never says no to a project, but then also is able to, like, find these sort of diamonds in the rough, all right? So the first of the two eras at the same time, we're just going to call this shit. Uh, it's 2011 to 2020. It's Seeking Justice, Ghost Rider 2, Stolen, The Frozen Ground, Rage, Outcast, Left Behind, Dying of the Light, The Runner, Pay the Ghost, The Trust, Dog Eat Dog, USS Indianapolis, Colon, Men of Courage, Army of One, Arsenal, Vengeance, Colon, A Love Story, Inconceivable, The Humanity Bureau, Dark Looking Glass, 211, Between Worlds, A Score to Settle, Running with the Devil, Kill Chain, Primal, and Grand Isle. That is some of the movies he made in that nine years. Have you guys seen a single <laughs> Have you even heard of one of those movies? I mean, <laughs> Ghost Rider too. I've heard of. <laughs> yes, that one I'd heard of. Oh yeah, we did. We we really let bruised over Ghost Rider and how bad that is, and that should have shown how bad he was going to get. But honestly, like, yeah, you've heard of it because you've heard of Ghost Rider. But if you came up to me right now, apropos of nothing, and said, "Was there a sequel to Ghost Rider?" I'd say absolutely not. There, there was never a sequel. I don't know what you're talking about. In that same, let's skip all those fucking thirty movies and let's get into this. In that same era, we have Joe, Mom and Dad. Joe, Mama, Mom and Dad, Mandy, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and Color Out of Space. And I think these are, these are five movies that I can give to people who, don't, who have seen uh, USS Indianapolis colon Men of Courage a bunch of times and not sure why he's so good. I think those fi- five movies sort of do prove it. Definitely. Uh, Mandy is, is a, just an exceptional movie from top to bottom. You, you get... Prime Nicolas Cage screaming in a bathroom in his underwear while drinking and throwing booze all over himself. Um, that's anything you could want in a movie. I mean, why why was film invented at all, if not for that? <laughs> it, at very least, the talkie, right? I mean, you, you could do that. He he's also would be a good silent film actor because he gesticulates like a person who doesn't have the ability to speak. Uh, <laughs> do you think that he is good at seeking these projects out, or do you think... That, like you said before, Nate, uh, a broken clock is right twice a day. In the 40 movies that he's made in the last 10 years, five of them are good. It probably should have been more than that. His shotgun spray of agreeing to contracts uh, was going to turn up something good. 
Yeah, I think there's there's a paycheck component here that that cannot be ignored, right? Like he needs he needs money. Everybody needs money. I can't remember if there was some sort of history of him having a, a debt issue. Um, yes, he had to sell. He sold a dinosaur head. He had he had the skull of a dinosaur and he had to sell it because he ran out of money. For of real? course he did. Which is the <laughs> Nicholas Cageiest story of all time. So National Treasure Three should be a documentary, and it's him going to steal that dinosaur head back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that's very similar to the reason why O.J. Simpson also went to jail. Like, True. <laughs> um, the, I, I, would, I think that if you know a lot about straight-to-video or pay-per-view B-movies, then you love Nicolas Cage, except for Into the Spider-Verse. And that's his like big money-making one where he fucking destroyed. He was all of the weird Nicolas Cage, but then also he was in on the joke and also maybe not all at the same time. Uh, I, it was one of the better performances in an incredible movie. Yeah, to have yep. been to have been in the booth for that, because I'm sure like not everybody's there on the same day, and I would have loved to have just been a fly on the wall to see how he was performing it compared to how he was animated. Because you know, Spider-Man Noir is pretty pretty chill. Ultimately, but the uh-huh. line reads are 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 you know, you guys say this all the time on the show. Eh, they're Chef's Kiss line readings. So, <laughs> number one, you do not want to be a fly on the wall near any sort of Spider-Man. They will that's, go after you. That's right a good away. call. That's a bug joke, and I love it. <laughs> and two, yeah, it definitely what's perfect about Cage as Spider-Man Noir is both of them think they are definitely the pure white knight hero of their own story, and everybody else is a sidekick. And so it fits perfectly, because everybody what? in Spider-Man-verse uh, thinks he's a joke. What I mean, like, how else can you define so many of these uh, roles throughout his career in that what is hero or joke, bro? Like, how are you doing both at all times, every time? Good call, Mike. Mike. Guys, that is Nicolas Cage. Do we uh, appreciate him more now that we've done that? Yeah. I, I appreciate him more every day. <laughs> every single day, just a scotch more than the previous day. Well, he has the Cage Day calendar and just looks at a different picture of him. Yeah, it's like a dream journal. And every I just wake up and first thing I do is write something nice about Nicolas Cage. The fucking thing, though, is that every page of the calendar is taken from like uh, outside of Nate's front door with Nicolas Cage just standing there staring at <laughs> the camera. That doesn't freak you out a little bit? I know I posted just, to what the next fuck, door, but nobody dude. says anything. God damn it. All right, I'm fucking skeeved out. Uh, we're going to find Nate a realtor, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about this one movie, Color Out of Space. And it was way down in the fall. Mama sewed the rags together. So in ever peace with love, she made my coat of many colors that I was so proud of. And while she sewed, she told a story from the Bible she had read about a coat of many colors Joseph wore. And then she said, I hope this coat will bring you. Early on in the movie, it said that the dream we dream alone is just a dream. The dream we dream together is reality. Does the alien invasion only become real when more than one character acknowledges what's going on? It it does feel like that because like in the beginning, the daughter is the weird one. And by the end, boy, will that change. But she, she's just like in her very like Sarah from Labyrinth. I hate my family. I'm going to be out in my fantasy land. And they're all like making fun of her. And then the kids, the pothead. So they, they all experience a different thing and call each other liars because none of them trust each other. And the minute two of them see a thing at the same time, they're like, oh shit. And it just ramps up from there. 
real quick before we get right. further than that, are is the daughter a Wiccan and the son is a pothead because we're saying something or because it's like classic sitcom, everyone gets one personality trait and now we have to we have to move on with our story. Yeah, I think I think it's because the, the the all of the beginning of this movie is is entirely text. There is no subtext in the first <laughs> 20 minutes of the movie. Everybody says exactly what Wait. they're thinking for the purposes of forwarding the script. And it, it's to deal with trauma, right? Yeah, I think so. It, I mean, like, we're watching them go through the trauma of having a mom that almost died. You know, that's what uh, Lavinia is wickening for. I'm sorry, alexandria for? Yeah, yeah, that is that is definitely a Playboy power move. If you know what kind of weird spell shit that girl's into, man, you got that a lot. <laughs> that witch is yours. Um, also, she was, was she on the shore when she was doing this? Like, yeah, she's on like the river she, side or something where they're gonna put the dam, right? Because that's so, why the hydrologist so, shows up and hits on a girl ten years his junior. I mean, if she's on the dirt right next to the water, are we talking about a sandwich? Oh, right. <laughs> okay and so then uh as the movie goes on everybody starts to get onto the same page and you think that's what you want with your family (laughs) that's what i've always wanted with my family is just for all of us to like i don't know understand each other and it it goes like it goes you know like uh what what are we saying about this whole collective versus individual thought it's i i think the like collective wisdom the greater wisdom says like that'll bring you together. And what this movie says, no, sometimes it'll drive you further apart because it brings out the worst right. and most of you. Well, the, the, I mean, are, are you talking about current politics right now? I'm talking about everything, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the alien is, the alien is an ultimate otherly togetherness that forces everything together. It, it takes all things and, and mashes them up. Everything becomes the one thing. And that's the ultimate togetherness, Wait. right? If we just, just become part of me. <laughs> I mean, could you could you like could you make the argument that the alien saw how human life works and it was like this is what you want, right? <laughs> it just jams everyone together as hard as they can. Yeah, it, it it's like definitely playing on unhealthy codependencies, uh, and, and like nobody is listening. Ever. Like there there's a horror movie in here without an alien, right? Uh, we've talked about the weirdness and and yeah. So so the alien shows up at the same time as the hydrologist, who is also making things change. So anytime an other is coming into your bubble. It's changing. It's and if you're a fucking weirdo and don't want things in your bubble, you're gonna start freaking out. So, science coming in and outside society coming in is Light. messing with your shit. Is horror already to at least Nicolas Cage? But I think that's what's weird is that they're all they're all they've all created their own change, right? They left what they left their world of common day comfort to move to this farm, and they're cool with Tommy Chong in the woods hanging out. They don't seem mm. to actually have any problem with anybody other than the mayor. So it's almost it, it's it's odd that the idea of the outside is supposed to be the villain in a movie where it seems like all of them just want to get outside more. Well, so Cage, even though he has a problem being there, he feels like, well, I have to be here. Like, there's definitely like, did it because you're supposed to vibes in the adults, and then and here are the rules, even though they're rules given from like 60 years ago. But like when Lavinia first meets the hydrologist. Uh, she's real pissy at him. And then once she warms up to him, the mom and dad are both really weird to him. So it is, they never get cool with him. Like, and, and the, the minute, and when cops come and everything at that point, you're shooting people cause they gross alien fucks. But like it, 
I don't think it is just the mayor who's getting under people's skin. And it's because Lavinia, even though she's like on the surface, the weirdest, she is the most normal, which is why she's the warmest to the outside. Yeah, she's the most yeah, adult and- in the movie at some point. Yeah. Mike. I, I mean, except for the time where she's like, no, dad is right. Let's defend dad. I don't know if you should ever do that. Um, but a long time ago, we were talking about this control is that they can't control. Let's just say that they came from New York City. Um, they can't control who comes in and out. This, if they go here, then they can. So, like, Ezra is weird. You know, it's weird to have Tommy Chong uh, on your acres. But I do think that every family could use one Tommy Chong just living somewhere around he them. Calls him a squire, um, as yeah. if as if there is a fealty <laughs> paid between them. That, like, oh, you're just this squire that lives on our on our back forty. Wasn't it? It wasn't squatter. I thought that he was just trying to get rights on for the property. Oh, okay. Maybe it was squatter. I thought I heard squire, and I should have had the subtitles on. That's my. No, fault. there's something uh, Arth- Arthwanian for sure. <laughs> but yeah, the mayor and the guy who comes in and uh, woos the daughter, and is also this is a Lovecraft story, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And the parents don't like this guy. Just because he's wooing the daughter, right? There's no other reasons to not like the guy. They hate hydrologists, I think, is the subject. Yeah, they they obviously hate hydrologists. Uh, but yeah, like now we cannot control what's coming into and out of our orbit. And I think that's what freaks, you know, the people out that thought that they would have that control in the woods on a farm. Interesting. So as they all start to learn, they gel less, not more. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing there? I think because they they all get backed into a corner and instead of being like, oh, we got to like listen and come together, they, I think the kids rightly see how fake and gross their parents are and the parents just turn into their worst tendencies to the point that's shown that the mom literally sucks in Jacob, the young, the young one. Jack. Yeah. I mean, like we've, we've talked a lot about how 80s this movie is and the thing that you have to do in an 80s movie besides feature Maria Conchita Alonso is to have it be kids versus adults. Mm-hmm. And is that like, it takes a while and it's pretty sly, but is that ultimately what we're doing here is fuck you guys. You think you know what you're doing and you clearly don't. I mean, I think that the uh, Lavinia didn't want to be there in the first place, right? Like her, her whole arc is that she doesn't really want to be there. She wants to leave. And this is an opportunity. It's almost an excuse for her in a way, despite the fact that it's, it's terrifying. I mean, it's aliens. Um, because the brother, the, the the elder brother is is sort of, I don't know, like the, the most cardboard character I've ever mm-hmm. seen in a movie. Like, he doesn't really have any purpose, and even his demise is is unremarkable, other than the fact that he goes steampunk goggles for some reason right before his last breath. <laughs> oh, you gotta steampunk out on the way down. Like, wait, I gotta get a look at this thing that's gonna <laughs> melt me. Oh, man, that was full-on, uh, what was it, the... Radioactive Man movie from The Simpsons yeah, the where puts on the goggles. <laughs> All of this magenta clear alien lava is coming at you, and he's like, "Hold on, let me get my goggles on, and then I'll figure it out." But I, I do think he, yeah, he he was very bad and is a very bad character. But I think it's showing like he wants to leave, but he's also just gonna burn out and get way too high in the woods all day. Uh, and so the horror that's playing is all the things that be in their normal life that was a little bit of a problem starts to become even worse because 
he's gone all day before the alien shows up and they hate it. And now he's the one who mentions, he's like, have you noticed how time doesn't work here? It's because time already didn't work for him. The girl was into spells and now she can't stop carving symbols into her skin. That, oh, like, damn. It, it is that the, the horror is, Light. oh, you are the most of you. It's not the worst. It's just you are even more of you. And isn't that terrible? Yeah. <laughs> the worst horror is yeah thinking that you're being a subtle normal person and no i mean and then the ultimate version is tommy chong who you know he says things are coming things are on the outside the outside is the inside um and everybody's like you fucking high idiot like you don't know shit and then of course he turns out to be right yeah yeah everybody everybody does get trapped within their own coping mechanism right like that's that's really kind of what it is everybody's everybody's had this brush with with mortality in the in the mom's illness and they all chose a path to get away from that to to sort of live past it and and the the witchcraft thing the the stoner thing the the farming thing the throw myself back into my work thing all of it just gets turned up all the way Thanks. until yeah until they're they're basically trapped inside themselves yeah okay so i mean like then is the argument for the movie that the thing that you choose to just like get through this part of your life this part's hard so i'm going to i'm going to pick a crutch man that was Eight. That was really good. Uh, <laughs> then it's not just going to be a crutch. It's going to probably help control the rest of your life. Like if yes. you would just dealt with the trauma, you know, faced it head on, then you'd probably be okay. Yeah. Right. Because none of them are ever listening to each other. They're always yelling and overreacting and having separate conversations at the same time at each other instead of actually dealing with each other. It's very true to life. Uh, and I think more than anything, it's, uh, it is hinted that that sheriff who gets killed by a tree, that he had a lot of trauma with trees early on. And then, so that's what killed him. So it's all connected there. And by the way, I mean, like, I don't want sheriffs to get killed by trees, but that fucking uppercut that that tree gave oh, to knock that sheriff out, that and was... That's 80s horror as hell. That is evil dead shit, for sure. Yeah. Guys, I feel like we're so on the precipice of talking about family, and specifically about Mike's family, and it's my favorite part, <laughs> and I can't wait. Uh, but we're going to give that a minute. We're going to let the... Uh, the poor people in for that one but patreon listeners we do have a little bit more for you when we come back let's do a rushmore mount rushmore gentlemen we're here to build a mountain and it's not going to be a president president's this time it's going to be the most iconic farmers nicholas cage is sort of technically in this movie um, I don't know if the board thought of this Rushmore before the board watched the movie, but uh, there's alpacas and, you know, and we've never done a Rushmore of Farmers. We're running out of topics. Um, before we get into it, what do you guys think about a movie before you see it where uh, you hear that it features farmers? Are you guys more pumped or less pumped? So pumped. And also, when I asked that, when you answer that, please understand how hard it is to host when you hear that question. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm very pumped, especially because every time I assume it's going to be about like real agrarian, back to the roots farmers against like big pharma farmers who are like they're out to get Monsanto, and uh-huh. it's never what I want. So I'm bummed every time. I, I assume it's an Animal Crossing movie, and Animal Crossing is big with the kids these days. Yeah, I think we're getting close to the point where we should just assume every movie is an Animal Crossing movie. I I do think it's weird. I don't know what you guys did when you sat on a hill and thought about farmers from movies but uh 
I think that it's important to note that most movies about farmers, they became a farmer like a week or two ago. You know, nobody's ever like, I've been a farmer for 60 years. It's like, well, I just bought this for some reason. And if they are, they are the villain. It was really hard to not have villainous farmers because it's normally from the point of view of an animal's. Well, I mean, that's been a thing for you for a long time, Mike. A lot of people have clowns. You have farmers. You're just, they scare the shit out of you. I don't, why do they got to be so tall on those tractors, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> I also don't understand how anybody isn't familiar with the common idiom of buying the farm. That, that's a bad thing. That's always a bad thing. <laughs> do not buy the farm. It means you are dead. That's what buying the farm is. Nate, uh, we, have, we have to pick the four most iconic filmed farmers you are in the driver's seat right now. You can choose anyone. This is an easy way to get a point. Who do you want to nominate first? Oh, boy. I mean, I, I really have so many big ones on my, on my list here. Um, but I have to start with uh, uh, just he, he's, he's a guy. He loves baseball. He loves his oh, shit. dad. Oh, he, shit. He loves socks of the black variety. Specifically, it's Kevin Costner and Field of Dreams. Absolutely. Now, Mike... This is a movie about a thing you don't understand. It's called baseball, and it's very important to America. Um, can you can you argue against this pick right now? No, it's the one that when the board foolishly said farmers, I went, oh, well, there's that guy who had played with ghosts. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Do you think that he's out there farming ghosts? Yeah, he's a ghost farmer, which I think is a better title. It's the Fucking prequel to the Ghostbusters. Ghost Farmer is a show on CBS that like you didn't know, but it lasted 13 seasons. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's this guy's name? Uh, Ray remember? Ray Kinsella. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Kevin Car- Costner's on there. He, I think not, not only is he the prototypical uh, movie farmer, but he's also the prototypical, I just, I, I don't know why, just wanted a farm. Mike, do you think you can get somebody on the list? I think I can. Because... Even if not everybody can name him, the minute you hear his name, it makes perfect sense. And it's hard to turn down one Sir James Cromwell. Oh, but shit, if yeah. I tell you, mm-hmm. that'll do, Pig, that'll do, you will tear up and you'll say, yes, Arthur Hoggett does belong on this mountain. Art Hoggett. Owner of Babe. Mike. Pig that is, City. I mean, yeah, like uh, James Cromwell was this uh, character actor slash mostly movie villain for... <laughs> decades and then told one pig that will do which is not even like a compliment it's not even like you did a good job it's like please stop annoying me that'll do babe get the fuck away from me uh and stole our hearts have you guys straight up seen babe honestly used to own it vhs yeah a long time ago but definitely god damn it it's such a good movie all right (laughs) is that what you're calling the director of color out of space yeah that's what that's his new name that's if the alpacas were saying it. <laughs> uh, see, even that sounded racist. I don't know why, but... Uh, all right, Nate, it's your turn. We have two fucking uh, guarantees on there. What do you got? Okay, I mean, th- this, this, one's, this one's obvious, because this is the only person to have farmed mo- more moisture than David Bowie and Prince combined, and then he became a space monk, Luke Skywalker. Oh. Damn. Now, is Luke a farmer... I mean, he's, or worked, he... he's worked enough seasons that he's complaining about staying for <laughs> one more. I think that qualifies him as a farmer. But, like, isn't Uncle Owen the blue milk king? Isn't he the farmer? And Luke's just like a farmhand who's going to try to get with the girl in this Aunt Baru. <laughs> I mean, is a farmhand not a farmer? Is, the, is that the hierarchy of, of, the, uh, of the farm trade? Yeah, he's a squire. He's a farmer squire. Yeah, okay. Ryan's real, like, feudal with it. Who owns the land? <laughs> 
Well, All nobody right, can I'm... really own the desert, right? The, the Tuscan Raiders own the desert, guys. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to put... Luke on the maybe pile, just because all of a sudden, I didn't know this, but I have these very strong feelings about farmers. Uh, <laughs> Mike, hey, what do you got? Uh, I think it is one of the oldest movies we've ever talked about in the history of this show, but it, it was massive then. Uh, Henry Fonda was a massive actor, and I think it won a bunch of awards. I think Tom Jode, he's a dirt farmer. He's a poor out of luck farmer in Grapes of Wrath. Okay, so let's get is. into that term. Uh, dirt is... If you're a dirt farmer, then you've done nothing. You have planted no seeds. You have raised no... All you did was like put a tool in the ground. God made dirt, and it doesn't hurt, but does it make you a farmer? It does hurt if it doesn't... If it's in the middle of the dust bowl, and you can't keep food for your family. <laughs> also, <laughs> yeah. Dirt do hurt. Dirt's gone in my eyes, in my mouth, like I've been hit with dirt clods. Dirt <laughs> hurts all the time. <laughs> Who thought of that phrase? God. <laughs> I mean, I think he's really between farms anyway, right? It's not like he's actively farming. He's just trying to get somewhere where he might be able to farm. That's like me saying I'm, you know, I'm a stockbroker, but I'm not trading stocks currently, but I could in the future I, if I get to California. I have heard of stockbroking. I have, like, I have seen that <laughs> stocks exist, and so therefore, okay, I'm putting Tom Joad on the maybe pile. It's just like, if he was a corn farmer or anything other than dirt, then he'd be on. Uh, Nate, what do you got? Okay, okay, I got, I got one for you that even ties into space. This is Billy Bob Thornton, the astronaut farmer, building a rocket in the barn. He's got a farm. His last name is Farmer. (laughs) Is that true? Yeah. Is his first name Astronaut? (laughs) I think that should be the more more, more titles of movies should be like The Tom Joad or The Luke Skywalker or The Astronaut Farmer. Oh, man. Um, Iconic, obviously. Uh, his last name is Farmer, and there's Farmer in the title of the movie. Billy Bob Thornton is going on the mountain. All right. Nate. <laughs> Mike, I have one spot left, and I've got two pretty good maybes. What do you got? What I When I want in a farmer is like a handsome man who might have a role in the hay, but still looks like he's not a pretty boy. He looks like he works for his hands, and I think Robert Redford uh, embodies that. And he not only is a great farmer, he's a great whisperer to the point that a long-running show was named after him. The Horse Whisperer begat Caesar Milan's The Dog Whisperer. And one of the farmers... I thought you were talking about The Ghost Whisperer. (laughs) No. Oh, yeah. And that's also a spinoff from it as well. Uh, I think Robert Redford's The Horse Whisperer. Does he farm anything? He does. He farms love. He farms whispers. He's as much of a farmer as Nick Cage is, because Nick Cage takes care of alpaca. He takes care of horses. All right. Um, let's Sorry, go. Speed- you didn't say ranchers board. <laughs> uh, let's go speed around. I need one more from each of you if you got them. Nate, do you have anything else? Yeah, I've got uh, Jath- Jason Statham's character, whose name is Farmer in the Yui Bowl movie, The Name of the King. Okay, uh, not even going to write that down. Mike, go ahead. Uh, there was a kid. I was in school from third grade through senior year. We never got along, but Brandon Farmer, this one's for you, baby. <laughs> All right. Hold on, real quick, guys. Ryan. And. Ryan. And. I'm giving the last spot to Uncle Owen, <laughs> who is an actual fucking farmer. Gentlemen, your farmer movie Rushmore is Ray Kinsella from Field of Dreams, Arthur Huggett from Babe, and I don't think Babe Pick in the City. I'll have to do some research on that. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, who played one astronaut farmer senior esquire in the movie The Astronaut Farmer, and Uncle Owen from Spaceballs. That is your Rushmore. When we come back, 
Uh, we're going to let the poor people in and get to more of Color Out of Space. Have you ever heard the wolf cry to the blue corn moon? Or ask the grinning bugcat why he grins? Can you sing with all the voices of the mountain? Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? Can you paint with all the colors Welcome back, non-Patreon people. Wait, hold on. No, you're unwelcome. Go pay some money. Before you do that, listen to this shit I'm about to drop on you. Throughout the film, the parents talk about becoming their parents. And it's almost as good as... Guys, have you seen those progressive ads where they're trying to make sure that we don't become... (laughs) You can't just not say blue. It's my favorite show on TV right now. Oh, God, it's so good. For insurance ads, I cannot believe how great they are. Anyway, Nick Cage and Jolie Richardson, they're also scared of that shit. What does the film have to say about family, about mothers, about fathers, about legacy? I I think what it has to say is that the very thing we're trying to escape is the very thing we're destined to become, which is what the alien does to each and every person in the movie. Like... You're trying to get away from something and define yourself, but it turns out you can't. You're always part of the hole that you came from. We're 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 a cell that gets divided at at one point, and uh, and you just get reabsorbed, and that's all that keeps happening. Like even they they try to chop parts off of themselves, and it doesn't doesn't put an end to anything. Eight. Damn, but like that goes back to uh, a thing that we talked about before. But like, do the aliens think that they're doing good? Like, do they land and they're like, this is what you guys wanted to be, right? I think uh, this is mostly uh, not from this text, but from a close cousin, one of my favorite movies growing up, The Faculty, starring God damn it. Yeah. Wood. Uh, Based on how you've been talking all night, your fucking, your Pornhub shit all night, when you say this is based on a close cousin, I, I'm pretty sure you're about to say who I want to fuck. Uh, like, the bad guy in The Faculty uh, is a single organism who has to go planet to planet and suck it all up, and she's so cripplingly lonely. So even though we didn't get the alien's point of view here... Uh, it's basically the same thing. And instead of saying this ripped off the faculty, I'm assuming the faculty took the Lovecraftian idea uh, from years before and and gave us uh, the late great Daily Show host as the bad guy he was always supposed to be. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the alien isn't trying to help these things. It's trying to assimilate them Borg style. But the worst aliens always just want to make you one of them. I, I to to piggyback on your point about the faculty, what? isn't this this movie made by Elijah Wood's production company? Yes. Is it really? Who is in the faculty? I think SpectreVision awesome. is Elijah Wood's deal. I don't know. He, You'd have to look. Elijah that up. Wood wasn't just in the faculty; he was the faculty. He was, he was every great part of that movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's I think it's an assimilation movie, right? It's it, but I don't think I don't even think it's an intentional assimilation. Like I don't think the alien knows what it's doing. In the same way that I don't think any of the family members know what mm. they're doing when they're trying to break apart from each other, right? Like they don't think they don't think that the bonds between them are breakable, so they keep trying to run as far away as possible from each other. In the same way that the alien doesn't seem to understand that everything Thanks. in matter on Earth can just be slammed together into one big goo ball and <laughs> and it destroys everything. It's just like all all you alpacas need to hug. You need to be together, and then oh no, I've created a. a super monster but i mean like disgusting but not that scary it really was just a uh eight-headed uh snack pack of alpaca <laughs> that i uh, just screamed but 
that was one of the best parts of the movie where they were like, oh, yeah, let's just shoot this shit. It's gross, and I want to <laughs> yeah, shoot ew, it. Ew, ew, ew. Why don't you just shoot it? It, it is, I, I think the kids, because you're kids, you want to break your bonds always, but you don't think they can be. So they don't think any of their yelling is part of it. But the, it's so weird. I think one of the subtexts of the movie is the whole time Nick Cage wishes his wife just died. He never says that, but the way they argue, and if she is healthy just that quick to bounce back, they do not listen to each other, even when they fuck. At this point, they're fucking so hard, they don't notice a purple earthquake like it is to try to ignore the reality of their unhealthy relationship and everything else that's going around them before the aliens hit. So you didn't take that as one of the most romantic things of all time? That they're so in love and they're making such passionate love that they could not hear the purple earthquake going on? No, I think Black Mirror style, even if they didn't have the context that made them see other people, they were both deep, deep, not in that same bed together while they were inside of each other. Wow, see, because I I felt like the, the conversation they had preceding that revealed the most tenderness in their relationship that there was, right? That like... He's like, yeah, oh, I I'm agree. Even a, if it was I'm forced, to then you and, and and she says, he says, I've always been a leg man anyway. And she says, well, what if I got my legs cut off? And he's <laughs> like, I mean, it's kinky, but sure. And and then he's just like, quickly, can can we go? Can we finally bone? Because it's been like three months, and I'd like to get back to this. And it, and I, I didn't forget about the conversation. <laughs> I don't even think they got undressed. I feel like they were just dry humping when the reindeer fell. The best part of sex. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially when you're wearing corduroy pants. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking more like, so I guess that is their one moment of connection. But every other time when he needs her because he looks dumb on the news, when she's screaming about the Wi-Fi and her clients, they're never listening to the actual problem, just how the other one is getting in the way of their problem. And then even when she's trying to open up uh, and she's like, I, I think I'm afraid I'm becoming my mother. Instead of like talking to her, he's like, and what about me? living my farmer's farm just like i said i never would i think he i think he says that uh your mom had two boobs my so God. that's definitely not like you uh he's a roast so, comedian like <laughs> he's a roast comedian he's a he's an insult to jester uh so but like does that go back to the point of like they take their closeness for granted like because we're a family because we're close-knit then that mm. just means we get to act however we want and yeah. it seems normal until the alien comes out and says, "That's not fucking normal, guys." Ryan, I, I think it's I think it's that plus the farm, right? The the farm itself creates this additional level of isolation that we already kind of talked about. But that isolation can also be perceived as security to begin with, right? Like, hey, we we were all in the city and we were all vulnerable, but we were together. And now we're out here and we should be invulnerable together because right. there's nothing that can come Nate. to us. And they and they don't seem to see, yeah, they don't they don't see beyond themselves because they feel so safe, I guess. And and because they feel so safe together, they start to perceive everything as a threat. The the daughter, who as we've talked about, is the the most normal of them. Uh, she, I do not think, is dressed scandalously, and even if she is, that's her decision. But because she's talking to a person who's not part of the family, the mom calls her a slut and says she's throwing herself at him, and she's like, "Look at your dress. The signals you're giving off." I think I saw a part of her calf and a hand in that outfit. Like, I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. And again, the aliens haven't really started kicking in yet. That's just who the mom is. I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. Which calf? Both calves. What? The left uh, calf. What do you want from me? I don't know your pun. Just say it. No, it was just a statement. Like, we saw the witch calf. The witch calf, that, yes. That's what we were looking at, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, the way that La Vinia reacts to that, it makes me think that this is not the first time she's been 
mm. fucking dragged by her mother. Like she goes up and she cries. And the first time your mom calls you a slut, and we all remember the first time, uh, it's more like shock, but she goes up and cries. And it's like, I'm so sick of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime that she does anything, uh, she gets called just a slut. Like, so you're acting weird. Uh, you're acting like a witch. You're doing anything that like is not what we perceived as the perfect daughter. Slut. We're just gonna drop that S word right on your head. It pushes her to the point of going into a like thunderstorm, watching, walking coma. Like she goes into right. a fugue state to watch the lightning happen. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing too that happens a lot is that outside of Nicolas Cage, most of the people their reaction to this is fugue state and. That I don't know if that's saying something about family too. Is that once you get into this groove of family, that's just you just you just coast, you know, like you're just like, well, fuck it then, and then just stare off into space until you die. Well, I mean, that's that's ultimately what uh, Nick Cage's reaction is. And by the way, we haven't ever said this, but his name is Nathan, and and he goes by Nate. So I'm just going to take a point for that. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but and because but, anytime you bite into fruit, you throw it right in the trash. Oh yeah, and I say slam dunk every time. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, he he's he's staring into the TV, which is, which has become the color out of space, and he's doing that f- multiple times through the last twenty minutes of the movie. Like during the greatest chaos of it, he's he is fugue stating himself. And what does that say about our relationship with television and the visual? Media? God damn it! It's pointing the finger right at the audience. Yeah, he did it. He fucking did it again. Just like his first four days of filming Doctor Moreau, the motherfucker did it again. <laughs> it's fugue state in television because so the rest of the family does it with the aliens, but he does it with the TV and with the bourbon. Like he runs with the bourbon the minute he feels a little uneasy all the time. It's I don't want to deal with real reality at all. I gotta say though, as a uh, person who enjoys just you know the the whispers of the smell of liquor from time to time. He he drank bourbon less than somebody like he, it's a teetotaler level. I don't know why he mentioned it to the newscaster, but like this, this did, he didn't strike me as a guy with a problem with alcohol. And yet, I guess that's where he puts the blame is like bourbon. I guess it's just bourbon instead of this sound, rage. Am I just do I just sound like an alcoholic yeah, by defending all of this? Bit. Yeah, this huge violent alcoholic. You're saying what a pansy. He didn't even drink that much. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of the family, though, and what the movie is saying uh, about dads versus moms. You know, like, Nicolas Cage does what he does, and then... Have we gone into detail about what happens to the mom in the third act of the movie? No, No, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so uh, the littlest kid is going into his fugue state, and the mom goes out to rescue him from magenta, which is hard to save someone from color, even if it's out of space. Uh, And the aliens just fucking put them back to back uh permanently and then they just scream weird non-english grunts almost like alpacas who have barely learned how to talk uh as opposed to like nicholas cage who just decides hey if i see it it's getting shot no matter what is this a mother and father is, are they saying something about moms and dads i think so i think okay so jolie richardson's character uh chops her fingers off uh, while she's in a fugue state. So there's there's a moment where we're talking about motherly sacrifice there. We're, we're also talking about how she's she's kind of weirdly taken on the mantle of the husband because she's the only person with a job job trying to have a job job while they live on the farm. Um, but she's also like, she goes out to do the actual saving and she sacrifices herself and becomes this hideous beast with two backs that is not the kind that anybody wants to see. And uh, It's really a beast with no backs. Yeah, it's, it's two fronts. <laughs> 
Whereas, whereas Nick Cage's character, so he he begins because we didn't really talk about it, he he starts getting this rash that he keeps scratching on his arm, but they don't really show you enough of it on the screen to tell what it is. But it sort of looks like he's got lizard skin, I think, on his forearms. And mm-hmm. I and I sort of I could see that speaking to like he's becoming tough and isolated and male in this way of like I'm going to I have to stick Me. this out and and she's become soft and she's become so soft in fact that she's become malleable enough to absorb her own child. Yeah, I mean like hey dudes, this is how stupid you look Me. and hey moms, this is how stupid you look and like yeah. we're gonna we're gonna literalize uh, what they think gender roles are. Even even when they don't. Verbally, they don't want to be those things. They get sucked into it. They are wired the way they're wired. But again, they verbally they say that they don't, even though that's not true. Like yeah. in real life, you know, all they do is say who they're not, not who they are. All Nick Cage says is "Get away from me." The kids are doing nothing. He starts screaming at them, like he's pushing them away with everything he says. To even when the kids are trying to tell him exactly what's going on at this point, they're like, "No, it's aliens. It's the purple we know." And he says, "Uh, what the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> get out of my face uh, yeah, he just says he says Lavinia I'm so sick of your shit which is something that all dads say to their daughters but when there's a clear alien attack I don't know believe Lavinia for a second can we just do that well in, in the number of times that that even like pre-meteor or slightly post-meteor where he's going into the snooty dad voice that he did as an impression earlier with the purpose of just barking like three orders that seem completely out of character and then reverting back to his normal speaking voice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's on the nose for sure. Which is, it's, that's classic dad too, which is like, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to say the F word a bunch. Maybe I'm going to throw an N word in there. And then when I come back to normal, you, you can't talk about it. Like, oh, that's just, that's just normal shit. Uh-oh, guys. It's speed round time. Here we go. Points are doubled, divided by half. What is this movie's relationship to sex? I think it thinks it's icky. <laughs> or it thinks... I don't know if the movie does. The movie knows people, or at least like Americans, are uncomfortable with sex. Because that sex scene is not sexy, and it's gross, and so the bad things start to happen. And then the way they treat the daughter, it just is showing that yeah. people are not comfortable with sex. Yeah, there's no there's no sex in the Mike. movie. There's only there's the the only bonding of bodies is in a body horror sort of way. So it's just saying, hey, look, anytime two things come together, it's a monster. It's disgusting. <laughs> uh, magenta. Why? It's the best color. Is it the best color? You're gonna go out right now on this limb and say, you know what? This is the best color. It's not my favorite purple, but it is in the family of purple, which means I love it because purple is the best. It is the most unsettling color. You don't see it but for forest fire times or very rare sunsets. And if it happened all day, every day, you would be freaked the fuck out all the time. I read that it's not a natural color. Like, it's only because of eye trickery. That, like, the the reds and the blues work in such a way where now it tricks you into seeing magenta. And then also, I go back to the 80s, like... When they had to pick a color, where they're just like, ah, that that looks eighties. Yeah, let's let's do that one. Uh, how, if at all, does the film contend with Lovecraft's racist legacy? I I think the character of the hydrologist he, takes it all. He's the only person of color, and it is they never say why the parents are uncomfortable when he's on their land and talking to their daughter. Like that is the only. I think it. You could clearly say it is weird that this adult doctors hitting on our high school age doc, but like nobody goes that. So it, it just feels like a race thing. 
I'm sorry, which daughter? Uh, the witch daughter. <laughs> uh, what about when Nicolas Cage said, who is that colored out of space? Yeah, was that I didn't like the way that he was, pointed. That was dark. <laughs> um, I Mike. mean, also, the, the, the mayor, I believe, is a, a, an actor of color. And uh-huh. so all of the forces from outside the family are pretty much people of color, other than bearded sheriff. And Tommy Chong is not a white person. So yeah, but also if you want to go like historically, white people are okay with the race Tommy Chong is more often than they are <laughs> with other people, and so that's why he's fine. All right, we're being so delicate that I'm going to move on. Uh, <laughs> is this the first occurrence of the hammy actor, the hammy actor being the one to throw the rotten tomatoes? <laughs> he was getting ahead of the criticism. I'll throw your rotten tomatoes right in the trash. I don't. Care. I love that shit of like getting one step ahead and being like, go ahead, throw them. I already did, bitch. I already, I'm Nicolas Cage. I already did. I want to know how many takes they had to go through and how many heirloom tomatoes were bit into and thrown in the trash can because they, they can't possibly have tasted bad in real life and that seems like a travesty. First of all, how valuable is that? Like, he's throwing away all of the stuff that his family willed to him with all those heirloom tomatoes. And second of all, my guess, just based on what I've heard, is that they just said, Nick, just throw the tomatoes away. And he just wouldn't. He just... <laughs> like, we're talking fucking slam dunks every time right like if you have not seen this movie you this is the scariest part of the movie to me like there's no magenta but my god does he throw a tomato away well and he's biting into them like a rodent too like there's not uh-huh. there's no way that he had the opportunity to even taste any of the things before he spit it out like he got food in his mouth and immediately was like no blah they're probably perfectly good tomatoes and he just doesn't like tomatoes yeah. and he they just didn't exactly exactly allergic <laughs> It's Guys, just, it's just all the fight is that is the end of the speed round. When we come back, we're going to hand out awards, including one very special one: the winner of this episode. But I see your true colors shining through. I see your true colors, and that's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let them show. Gentlemen, it's awards time. This is your final chance to get points. You guys are going to nominate different things or people for awards. And I am going to dictate who wins because voting is stupid. The first award is for the pound for pound performance of the film, which means that it doesn't have to go to a lead. If somebody just killed one scene, then they can win. Nick, I'm sorry, Nate, who do you have for performance of the year? Okay, so so I, I picked an unconventional actor for this for this opportunity, but I think most convincing, most embodied their their role and and had the most fearful scream in the entire film, and it's Sam the Dog. <laughs> Sam the Dog with the big ass scream. Okay. Mike, what do you got? I think pound for pound amongst a bunch of actors who've been acting for a long time, I've only seen this actor in Two other movies before Netflix's To All the Buzz- Boys I Loved Before and To All the Boys I Loved Before 2. P.S. I still love you. Uh, Lavinia, uh, I think, outacted all of the adults. Everybody had a false note or two throughout the movie. At times it did feel like a play because how woodenly they read their lines. But she owned uh, Wiccan Alexandrian little magic doing rebel daughter. 
Ryan. It's obviously Nicolas Cage. Uh, cringiest moment, guys. What is the moment that just did not sit well with you? Mike, let's go to you first. Uh, so there's the, the runner-up, say, just me personally, is the final spell she does where she's carving all that into her own skin. I found it literally hard to watch. But I'd say for what this award does, uh, the mom telling her she's sending the wrong messages with that outfit felt... Ugh. Yeah, it felt like again all of our moms. Nate, what did you have for that one? Um, you know, I had the I had the body mutilation uh, in the spell as as that, but I also number two was her uh, Jolie Richardson chopping her fingers off oh, was yeah. was cringy. I I turned away from the TV even though I didn't have to. I was just like, no, no, can't do it. Also, amazing how quickly they do surgery and then just bandage her entire forearm and hand, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, go home. <laughs> The problem, though, is that she was cutting carrots, and that's what they replaced the fingers with. Uh, they should have grabbed the fingers. Um, Nate. Nate, that's going to go to you, because Mike just giving out two when he goes first is driving me fucking nuts, and he's never going to get another point again. <laughs> Guys, this is uh, Looney Lonnie Lonerson's return to directing after never having made a movie that I've seen. There was a movie in 1990 called Hardware. I did not catch that. Uh, but let's just figure out what his signature move is. Nate, we'll start with you. What is his director's signature moment? I think the signature move is uh, pointing the camera up at the canopy of trees and the sky and doing that to establish mood in almost every single scene. Oh, look, it's darker. Oh, look, trees. Oh, look, purple in the sky. (laughs) So much purple in the sky. Mike, what do you have for uh, his move? Uh, I had gross close-ups. The, the most noticeable one was on the alpacas, but uh, he did a lot. It felt like live action Ren and Stimpy. Like, I'm going to get so zoomed in, you will be disgusted. I think that's pretty good because he doesn't, like, in that whole Jaws manner, he doesn't, like, give us the view that we want. It's either from too far away or too close up to really get grossed out, which makes it grosser. Um, next one is biggest eye roll. What was the time where you were like, come on, movie? What are we doing here, Mike? Uh, it, it's just the repetition of, I, I don't think other than we were told she survived cancer, but like for the mom trying to bring her and a body, she just yells, my clients to nobody and part of no conversation ever. And I'm like, just, you could have just let her act. I bet you could have said ad lib, but like, that's on, the only thing they have. And she really cares about her job. She does love those clients. Nate, what do you got? Um, I mean, I have two. So, uh, but the number one is the stoner kids aside to the hydrologist when they go visit Tommy Chong the first time and he goes a pussy named G-Spot that's awesome which is <laughs> like just come on um, the other one was that the, the grizzled older hydrologist at the end of the movie smokes throws his cigarette into the fresh water on the dam and then says the <laughs> name of the movie <laughs> oh man I don't know what to do here um, Nate I'm gonna give you the point because a pussy Thanks. named G-Spot is incredible but Mike, I'm going to give you a point to make up for Nate because any time the titular line is spoken, it is the best part of the movie, not the cringiest part of the movie. <laughs> Guys, this is probably the hardest award that we have ever given. This is the cagiest cage out in the entire runtime of Color Out of Space. We've talked about a lot of them. Nate, what are you going to give this to? Okay, I got I, I got to give it to the to the biggest performance, the moment when he the moment when he turned most like he turned the rage cage on all the way up. It's when he's sitting in trying to start the car and it won't start. Yes. He just starts yelling uh. cocksucker and slamming the car. It, he was yelling so loud that my dog started barking at the TV and I had to pause the movie to get him to quiet down. I uh, I can't believe how much it 
made me think that he's a weirdo and then also related to him all at the same time. <laughs> for me, it's not uh, the car not starting, but instead being in traffic for even like if, if 15 seconds. That is exactly what happens to me. Yeah, I've seen uh, it. It's Mike, weird. <laughs> what's your KG's cage out? Uh, so I don't want to say that. It was hard. It was hard. And I don't want to say that one that I had written down. Uh, it. I, I'm going to go with the quiet cage and it's after a blowout, but it's he shoots the spider monster that is his wife and son and then looks to the cop and says, they're not my family, and smiles, <laughs> and it, oh, it is so skeevy. Goddamn, guys, you did a really good job. Um, you didn't even pick Rotten Tomatoes, which I think would have been an automatic winner for me. Uh, I have to give it to Nate, but just Nate. by a hair. There's another gentleman. Those are- there's another really good one. If I if I can real quick, when he sits down at the end of the movie and he thinks that all of his family is sitting on the couch with him, and he's just mumbling quietly about going to Malta and the Greek Isles, like he's just <laughs> he's planning a vacation in under his breath in in the chillest, mumbliest Nick Cage possible. That has to be the most non-Nate moment, not Nathan moment. Like that's just Nicolas Cage talking to himself, <laughs> and they fucking is playing his real one. If we're just throwing out other ones that didn't make it, uh, him telling his wife that she knows the cancer smell better than anyone. Uh, he delivers that in line in a way no one else can. Uh, they're all good. You know what, guys? Mike, take another one. Uh, I have to uh, take a break. I'm going to tabulate the points. And when we come back, I am going to let you two and our entire audience know who gets to be best friend of Nick Cage for an entire week. Gentlemen, before we declare a winner, let me just say both of you did a wonderful job. Uh, Unfortunately, I do have the math that dictates one of you did a better job than the other. Uh, Mike, you had 31 points, which... Is that a personal record? No, no. I think I got 36 once when you got like You got 36 80. once? Um, that, I, I think that you had a really good show, and I thought you brought up a lot of interesting points. Thanks. <laughs> Nate, you scored 41 points. Wow. Can I, can I get a skadoosh for that? Uh, yes. You just have to give me one second, and then I'll vamp at the same time. Nate, I don't know if we've ever had a fucking destruction like this uh what do you what do you owe it to i i mike what do you owe it nate's <laughs> destruction of you two uh i guess I, I i think i rested on my laurels i didn't expect uh an up-and-comer to to come out swinging that much uh and you know that's why you don't get lazy that's why you mike, watch shut up mike, mike shut up mike shut up shut up Skadoosh. all right thank you mike don't talk over me that's ridiculous um so, guys, where do we think that uh, Color Out of Shape is going to land as far as t- best of 2020 goes? Oof. I mean, I, I don't think it could be at the top. I think it could. I think it's going <laughs> to end up. I think it's going to somehow just end up in the middle kind of where like, I mean, this movie came out in January, I think. So it actually had some time for people to go see it and it still didn't make any money. Um, so there's that. I know it's not you guys don't go completely on box office, but um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's a totally serviceable movie. That if you're if you're looking for what it delivers, it's fantastic. But I don't know how it's going to hold up against some more prestigious stuff, or even uh, you know, I don't know what else is on the schedule for you guys. What's great? It's going up against like Sonic controls, so I think it might. <laughs> okay, well it, then, it, yeah, it's going to win. If it doesn't hit, if it doesn't hit the way back in the first round, I think it could take this thing. <laughs> Yeah, I think the number one seed right now is Sonic and Trolls versus Battletoads, and that was a fucking good movie. So, uh, Mike, would you widely recommend this? No. <laughs> uh, 
I know dumb or because you have to know your audience. That I know exactly who I should recommend this to, but I'm not going to tell the 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 system we always give is a uh, our grandmas and our younger sisters. That's the range. I'm not going to tell this to, to the world. Uh, but the the people who really like horror or really like Cage or who like weird things for sure, I'd recommend this. Yeah, and I think that people who were into they thought they were just going to laugh at a bad movie, mm-hmm. but I bet they won't. You know, I think that there's they're going to get something out of it, Pleasantly even if it's surprised. not the best movie of the year. Uh, Nate, I want to thank you so much for uh, doing the show tonight. Um, where, if if people and I, if people enjoyed your performance tonight, um, your fucking soul crushing Mike's dead. I, he has X's over his eyes. Ten point beat down. And they want to hear or see or read more of you. Where do they go? Oh, man. I, first, thank you guys so much for having me on. This was a blast. Um, I really I really do like the show, and uh, it's just a joy to be on. I hope I get another chance sometime. We'll see if the invite ever comes. Um, no, you want I, too I feel much. Like that, you want too yeah, much. Yeah, it's too, I'm too thirsty now. Uh, but yeah. I feel like that if you lost to Mike by one, for sure you'd be back <laughs> on. But I guarantee you, you will never hear from Mike again. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to check out anything I do, I, I have a podcast called A Vague Idea. Uh, you can find that at avagueidea.simplecast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Um, it's, it's been a, it's mostly like a comedy game show, uh, though during quarantine it's been maybe a little more intimate conversation based. Um, but we're, we're going to get back to the game show thing. And then otherwise, if you like science fiction and, and maybe you would, if you wanted to listen to this episode of this show about this movie, um, I have a, a small press called space boy books and we publish science fiction here in Denver. Um, people all over the, all over the world at this point. So, um, yeah, those are the places and yeah, thank you guys again. This has been a lot of fun. You did so much better than Mike. Mike, tell us about, uh, multiple websites. Let's say three. Uh, yourpopfilter.com is where you can get everything we make. That's where that lives. You can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter if you want the b- b- bonus stuff and help us out financially. And a third website, I'm going to say you should probably check it. You know, I've never been to refrigerator.com, and I would love to know what it is. I I bet it's cool. <laughs> You said three. We have two no, that yeah. I believe in. No, you did it. Um, yes, if you like this show, make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review. This is called Moody of the Year. I'm sorry, Movie Groovy. of the Year. <laughs> we call it Moody when we don't want anybody to know what we're talking about, but it's actually called Movie of the Year. Uh, Mike and I are also on a couple of other shows, uh, the Superhero Show Show, where we talk about every single TV show based on a comic book. And then, of course... The OCD, where we talk about every single comic book based on a TV show. If you have never read the ALF comic book, we highly recommend it. That's the OCD and Superhero Hour Hour. Uh, show Show. Superhero Show Show. Now. Su- superhero Show Show. Sorry. A lot of changes. Uh, Nate, Nate, do you know what our, uh, the Pop Filter social media is? Um, I assume it's at, at, pop, at pop Filter. <laughs> so wrong. Oh, so it. wrong. What the fuck? I'm gonna my, I'm gonna give Mike eleven points for that shit. Oh. Mike, help him out, please. Uh, it's at your pop filter because we belong to you. Th- this isn't a like Smokey the Bear and the Simpsons thing, though, right? Where you said it's your pop filter, but the real pop filter was me. Y- yeah, you were the whole. You were the real <laughs> pop filter the entire time. Also, the journey is the pop filters that we made along the way. Um, Shady Muck, thank you so much for providing all of the music tonight. 
Uh, what am I missing, Mike? Contact us at contact at yourpotfilter.com. If you have an email to send us about you thinking that Mike should have won or there should have been more Screaming Bear from Annihilation on this show, which For sure. I 100% agree with you, uh, contact at Your Pot Filter. Anything else? That's it. Okay. Next week, we will continue our journey through the films of 2020. Stay safe, have good quarantine, and keep watching those movies. <laughs>